Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Fresh Out of Tokens Podcast. This is Tanya, also known as Cypher Tear. And way over yonder, well not way over yonder, but on my digital right is is Red Conversation, also known as David. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. It is It is a Sunday morning. We're squeezing in an extra episode this week to talk with uh, the wonderful Denicia, also known as Donna Pryor. Hi there. Yay. Thank you so much for making time to talk to us, especially considering you are out and about and traveling this weekend. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's my pleasure. All right, let's get our usual intro spiel. We'll sort of modify intro spiel out of the way because technology hates our other podcast, apparently. But for those of you listening, we have teas and other items in the I Need Diverse Game Spreadshirt Shop where we split the profits 50-50 with our friend Chachi Bobings, and there's a blog to complement the show, which is outoftokenscast.com. If you have questions, compliments, want to be a guest, have guest suggestions, etc., Drop us a line at freshoutoftokens at gmail, and you can follow us on Twitter at outoftokenscast. Our musical accompaniment is provided by Mike Moody. You can hear more of her work at soundcloud.com backslash Mike Moody hyphen one. And with that speedy intro out of the way, let's talk to Donna. Um, so I know who you are, Donna, but for those <laughs> folks listening, uh, can you tell folks a bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Hi. Uh, well, let's see. Well, I'm Donna, and also known as Denicia online. I've been going by that name since, oh gosh, years and years, uh, especially back on Usenet back in the olden days. And uh, more currently, I work in video games as community manager, but I also work in tabletop games for Green Ronin Publishing. And I founded my own tabletop game convention called OrcaCon. Yes, we're very, very excited to talk to you about OrcaCon today. Yes. Um, David, I, I think the next question is really up your alley because, it, A, it's a change from our usual second question. It is. Uh, our usual second question is uh, what got you in the gaming, but that doesn't seem as on the nose. So what got you into tabletop gaming? Oh, well, I was in tabletop gaming way before I started playing video games. So it's just kind of been one of those things that uh, I originally started tried to get into tabletop role-playing back in like 1982 when I was in high school. And I was told that girls don't play D&D. So it wasn't until a few years later that I started playing with a group that already had women in it when I moved to a different city. Really? Yeah, so I've been doing that. And then I didn't really get involved too much in the hobby because I was uh, working full-time back in the IT world and spending all my free time at Renaissance festivals and attending and working those. So uh, once I kind of stopped doing that about 10 years ago, I really kind of started getting involved. I'd already started getting involved with video games at that point, uh, all MMOs. And then, uh, you know, once I was kind of not doing the Ren Fair, once I moved out here to Seattle, because there's only a little tiny one. And I started uh, going to Gen Con and some other local conventions at that time. And uh, so then it's just been, I just kind of stepped in at full force and have been doing it completely. That's pretty much all I do is games. That's awesome. That's one of the reasons I like you so much. Working them, playing them, promoting them. Um, yeah, I've been running board game meetups since 2002 on meetup.com. Wow. I did not realize meetup had been around that long. Yeah. Yeah. It's been around a long time. Huh. Wow. I'm showing my age because I was just like, meetup's been around that long? Oh my God. Well, you, you've already said that you play video games, but so I was wondering 
Because, you know, like, there's some people where it's like, you know, they're firmly in tabletop, they're firmly in video games, and sometimes the two don't really mix. So so how do you find that happy medium between your, your work in tabletop and enjoying tabletop, but also, you know, doing work in the video game realm? Well, you know, my... my... Oh, gosh, they're so different as far as what I get out of them and and what I love about them. I tend to be, I'm actually, I know a lot of people don't believe this, but I'm very much of an introvert. But I like to go out if it has to do with drinking beer and playing games. And I like to play games with people. I don't really, I don't play console games all that much. I mean, well, I finally bought myself an Xbox so I could play Battlefront and stuff like that. (laughs) But if I'm playing with people, I'd much rather do it in person as part of kind of a social thing. And it's also easier to get people into the hobby at that point, because that's one of the things I do is because I had such a hard problem getting into games. You know, when I wanted to play miniatures games, I go into games workshop and they say, well, you know, there's somebody's, some of them, their wives will paint, but women don't play. And, you know, going into game stores, going to conventions and, you know, it's like, oh, are you here with your brother? Are you here with your boyfriend? You know, as I got older, are you here with your children? Not ever taking me seriously as a gamer. So it was much easier in tabletop because then I could just get people I knew to sit down and play games with me. Oh, wow. That that had to be real old real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, the whole gatekeeping and uh, saying that girls don't like that or women don't like this or black people don't ever play role-playing games or, you know, all that stupid bullshit that people do, the gatekeeping of the super secret club or, or whatever. It's I've been fighting this since, you know, 1982. Yeah, the whole black folks don't play tabletop thing is, well, I'm glad... I mean, you both have seen me in person. I'm sure you can imagine the look on my face. Or what. <laughs> yeah. 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 Speaking of that kind of thing, I suppose, you've done community management work in gaming. Yep. How did you get started with that? Uh, funny enough, I got right, hired right out of a game community. Um, I was playing Pirates of the Burning Sea. Well, actually, I wasn't even playing at that point. It wasn't even in beta. But I'm a big nautical history buff. And so this seemed like it was going to be so amazing that you'd be able to have your own ships and you'd have these big Navy battles. So I joined the community and was with them for a long, long time. And that was probably 2005, I think. So eventually when it came down to starting to um, be a part of the game, you know, they uh, said, hey, how would you like to, you know, be a remote moderator and join the community team? So I did that. And I started working for them. Let's see. I was doing more kind of hanging out. Like I went to PAX in 2006 and met everybody from Flying Lab. And half people thought I was already working there because I just kind of naturally started handing out T-shirts and talking to people about the game, even though I had never played the game at that point. So uh, so I was in the beta community. And then eventually, you know, they just kind of offered me a job. And I've been doing that ever since. That's really cool. And I, and I think it's interesting when people make their transition from community member slash fan, cosplayer, what have you, into actually working for a franchise or working for a studio. Because um, Andrew and Bigney over at Ubisoft, actually, that's how he got into it. He was this humongous Assassin's Creed fan and actually uh, moved out there to work for Ubisoft. Yeah, it's it's really nice because you know, we're in a really special position as community managers and people who are involved in community is that a lot of people who are community managers are people who started fan sites, who started wikis, who were working with community teams from the games that they love. 
and uh, like Star Wars Galaxies when they had the NGE and a bunch of us were saying, you know, hey, people were saying, oh, my friends have all left. And it was like, well, what did you do when the game launched? You made friends. So we're just going to do it again. And so we were running a bunch of, you know, welcome to welcome to Star, Star Wars. And we would get everybody together to do these things. And, and so I was always really vocal and blogging. And I ran a live journal community for Star Wars Galaxies. And um, so they gave me a community spotlight. I was their first community spotlight after the NGE. So that was really cool. So you could, you know, you could get involved with communities and when people get to know your name. I mean, most of that's exactly how most of us in community have come into jobs. And you have to really love it and you know, you don't look at it as a way to do something else. I get a lot of people, especially when I'm interviewing people for jobs or, you know, when I'm mentoring people, when I say what why do they want to be a community manager and they tell me, "Well, you know, I really want to design games." So I'm like, "Well, don't go into this you know, go into game design, go make games, go make games. Community managers manage communities and people. And, you know, we, we do all these things that um, that are not game design. So if that's your passion, <laughs> go into game design, but go make games. Yeah. Being among the fans and the fan base and everything is so different than making the game. And it's a different interaction that you need to have. Yeah, there's a whole big different balance because you have to manage. Some communities have volunteer moderators. Some of them have paid moderators. Some games will support, you know, user-generated content, so you need people to manage that. You have, you know, outreach with wiki communities and, you know, podcasters and bloggers and cosplayers and all this different stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that we do besides you know, post on Twitter and Facebook and moderate forums. <laughs> There's a lot of business things that go on. And then when you start bringing Twitch in and, you know, producing shows and, and, and all that stuff and event management, there's a lot of different things that kind of come into that. Oh, cool. You always had your, your finger on the pulse of community stuff, it seems like. And so it seems like that was a natural transition into wanting to start a convention, which is OrcaCon. And this was the first year. So yay, I'm, I'm very, very excited to talk about this. So what was your motivation to, to start up a convention? Because it's not a small undertaking. Yeah, well, it originally started probably about 2014. And uh, we were all sitting at Dragonflight. My husband and all his friends, they're always, you know, blue, blue, blue. We miss DreamCon, which, which is incredibly important, first of all, because it's a shared memory and experience that was a bonding experience. You know, not just with games, but they've got stories. And it's really funny to hear that, hear their stories. But they would talk about DreamCon, which went under a few years back. And it was a general sci-fi con, sci-fi fantasy fandom, and had games. But their gaming program was great, and they all had a lot of fun. And so we were sitting around and playing Seven Wonders, and one of the guys looked at me and he says, Man, there needs to be a con in Snohomish County, which is north of Seattle, and that's where DreamCon was in Everett. You know, somebody should make one. And I was like, well, let's do it. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And that's pretty much where it came from. And at that point, I kind of took lead and developed um, what our theme, what we were going to be, is that after attending so many conventions where nobody is welcoming, you know, nobody's inviting you to play games. If you're new, how do you find people to play with? How do you know what the culture is of the event um, how do you know what there is to do? Sure, you have a program and these time slots, they don't make any sense. There's the game library, but nobody's here to teach me how to play a game. Like as I was at uh, Dream, uh, Dragonflight and I entered a newbie tournament, like my first Dragonflight, a newbie tournament for Dominion. 
and everybody was super experienced and they played super fast and I'm like this is not newbies but luckily I just kind of watched what they were doing and I ended up coming in third and but the guy who ran the tournament came in first so you know that those kind of things make for terrible experiences so we wanted to make a place where everyone felt comfortable no matter if the only game you had played was Monopoly that that was okay if the only thing you played is Scrabble, that's okay. If you are a person who likes to play Axes and Allies for 12 hours, you're welcome also. So that's kind of where it came about from there. Very cool. <laughs> How has the community really responded to your convention this year? Pretty well. We we ran it on Kickstarter. We did one. We ran one last year for our convention, which was this January. And um, we hit our goal, so we were able to get the hotel. We had tons and tons of, luckily, working in games, so I've got a lot of connections. So we had a lot of people um, donate awesome things for our VIP swag bags. We had a lot of uh, people come out to do playtesting and demos of their games. We had the um, D&D Adventures League, and all these people come out and really support what we were doing. We handpicked all of our vendors were juried. So you basically had to follow our anti-harassment policy and, you know, just our policies in general about content and to make it a welcoming and safe place. And so uh, we also had um, pronoun ribbons that uh, that I purchased that we had out where people could wear their pronoun of choice and just did our best to make everybody feel super welcome, super comfortable. And my favorite part of our volunteers is that we have game hosts who do nothing but help you play games. So let's say you're looking for a fourth, they'll sit down and play with you. You don't know what this game is, they'll go teach you or learn it together with you. So we had people that were there welcoming people constantly. And I think that that made a big impact because I've got lots of people telling me when we're going to start announcing plans for the next one. Well, the next one is, you know, up on the site. You know, because you just mentioned it on um, social media the other day that the site is up to date for 2017. So let's talk about next year. And I believe the Kickstarter is going to go live soon if it's not already. Um, Yes, it's going to go live soon. I have a couple more tweaks because I was getting updates for um, for feedback, for grammar and, you know, where things didn't make sense. So I'm doing a little tweaking there, Uh, finishing up the video. As soon as I have that, I'm going to launch it. And then I will be spreading the word near and far. Okay. And then um, you have a theme for 2017. So what is your theme and how did that come about? One of the things that I was on a panel and I was talking about, and I think I was at, I was at Emerald City Comic Con doing the panel on building uh, uh, inclusive communities and community outreach. And so I was doing this and one of the things that people told me is, and I know that this is a big thing, is that People always say it's hard to bring diversity into panels, and um, it's not. But sometimes you just don't think about it. So um, it was really funny because I got dinged for not having a person of color on my panel, which I actually did because Hispanic, <laughs> you know, people who are Hispanic uh, count as uh, people of color. And but but they, you know, a lot, it was kind of in, you know, kind of teasing me a little bit. And mm. so. You know, especially in Seattle, we have a really hard time with diversity. There's a lot of white people in Seattle, all over the place, and especially in the gaming communities. And so I wanted to kind of highlight our, especially our local, um, some of our special guests who are all uh, local people of color and disabled folks. So our, that's, our theme is race and accessibility 
in tabletop game, which means that we're highlighting games uh, made by people of color, uh, people who are disabled, of uh, making our convention a place that's easier for disabled people to get around, like giving more space in between booths and tables and things like that, and um, doing what we can to rep- you know, give representation to people who don't normally get it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in full disclosure, y'all, I am a, I am a guest of honor next year. So I'm like super excited and trying not to like jump out of my chair. <laughs> but, you know, just for for clarity and for full disclosure. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited for for my co-guests of honor. But speaking of which, David has a question about that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, speaking of which, how did you decide on next year's guests of honor? Uh, I just... You know, I picked people I thought had good things to say and represented well, that would speak well, that like meeting people, that like talking to people. And I, and I think everybody has something really good to say. And so that's, there's, I mean, I would have a million if I could. And I would love to bring in more. If the Kickstarter does really, really well, you know, who knows who else we might be able to bring in as a special guest and help them. But since we are, uh, you know, brand new, you know, tiny con, we don't have the finances to bring out lots of people. Totally understand that. But um, the guests of honor, for those who might be wondering, and we will have a link to OrcaCon in the show notes, are Lillian Cohen Moore, um, Elsa S. Henry, who was a previous guest on the show, actually, me, Shoshana Kesick, and Raven Memora, who I'm really excited to meet because I just learned of his artwork thanks to um, seeing him as a, as a fellow guest of honor. Yeah, it's a pretty fantastic lineup. Yes, so so very, very excited. So yeah, that it's going to be awesome because part of going to conventions for me is always that kind of how many other brown folks are going to be at this con besides me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a game I get kind of tired of playing. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, one of the things that we're doing this year is, uh, so our dealer, Anna, who's in charge of our dealer hall, she's also working with some of the local youth organizations up there in Everett who don't necessarily have the means to attend. And we're setting up a scholarship fund for people to apply to to get day passes or three-day passes to be able to attend OrcaCon. So she's, we're going to see what else we can do with some of the kids. Like some of the game stores here take the extra, when there's magic tournaments and stuff, people will go through those packs and they'll throw away all the commons they don't want. And then, you know, some of the game stores will donate them to some of the youth groups to teach people, disadvantaged kids, how to play magic and to get them involved in uh, kind of that community. So I'm hoping that we can do that too. So we we will have the less white old dudes. And I love old white dudes. I really do. <laughs> but, uh, but I love lots of other people too. Good. I'm glad that you do. <laughs> You know, but speaking of, of discussions of diversity and inclusion, it is not always easy to have those conversations, especially in tabletop. So was choosing the theme of OrcaCon 2.0 an effort to address some of those issues? Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, or a lot. Is, you know, an, another big aspect of it is just, you know, independent games in general. Mm-hmm. Is that... Um, yeah, there's so many people who's like, oh, you know, let's go play Catan, let's go play Catan, because that's like the number one game. But there are so many other great games out there to play. And so if you are an independent game designer, but you've been designing and you're an older white guy, is everybody knows who you are. Not that that's bad, that's just who it is. But there's a whole bunch of people who don't get the consideration um, for what they're doing, board games, role-playing games, miniatures games, any of that, or people who are in education. 
who have things to say. Um, so I'm hoping that that will kind of make people aware because I, I think, you know, most people don't, you know, with the lack of diversity is not people for the most part being mean mm-hmm. or it's just that they don't think about it. It's kind of that whole Rolodex theory is that, you know, the, the friends we made in college who were just like us are the people who are always going to be our friends. They're, they're our network. And unless you're going out and, you know, you see things like you go to a festival or you go to the movies or you go see representation of people of color and disabled people, you're not going to notice it. And so I want people to notice that there's people who are not like them around who really are like them. It's maybe you're just have a hard time getting around or you're just a different shade of skin is that we're still all we love this. We love games. We love the community. We love, you know, strategy. You know, some people love this kind of game, that kind of game. It doesn't matter. We all like games and that we should celebrate that together. Definitely. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, I'll ramble about that forever. <laughs> Well, at least in this call. <laughs> so we wanted to ask, did any existing conventions like serve as a, uh, a base model that you wanted for OrcaCon? Or was it like the opposite in which pre-existing conditions had plenty of things you would prefer not to see? Uh, sort of a worse <laughs> practice of what not to do. Uh, a little of both, but more the latter. I, unfortunately, you know, I've been at conventions where, you know, um, even conventions where I've worked because I've been doing my mom first dragged me into doing uh, Mensa gatherings, which are what they call their conventions. I call them gatherings back when I was in high school, which was a million years ago. And so I learned a lot about convention behavior. And so there's a whole bunch of convention paper behavior that I like and way more that I dislike. As a matter of fact, when I was at my Norwest con this year, there was a whole bunch of things that I was just, uh, I was probably not the most pleasant um, guest to be around this year um, because I'm just so tired of bad behavior that, you know, going, being at OrcaCon for me is that's the convention I've always wanted to attend. That's pretty much what I did. I took the things that I loved about conventions and did those, and then which is like the game hosts, having welcoming game hosts. Um, and like, you can't sponsor my con. That's why I don't put sponsorship levels because I can't control if, you know, a Gamergate group or MRA group or, you know, a racist group decides they want to sponsor our con. If I do it through the Kickstarter, I don't have any choice. I've taken their money. So this way we jury everything because I want everybody to be happy and feel welcome. So that's exactly what I did. That's awesome because what I found going to PenguinCon this year is that, you know, the con staff and con runners can do everything in the world to be safe and provide a safe environment, but it takes one attendee to fuck it all up. Yeah. So, you know, I know that you are doing everything in your power to do it, to do that and make sure that people are happy and safe. And I really appreciate that because. You know, going to more conventions as I get older is, is becoming a thing. It's becoming kind of a, how tired am I going to be in every sense of the word by the time I go home? And I'm, and I'm tired of the fatigue that comes especially from dealing with microaggressions or, wow, there's like three other people of color besides me and there's like a thousand folks here. This is not okay. Yeah, it's the only thing I can really do is to try to get the word out 
you know, because I, I have to work hard at it and we have to work hard at it because otherwise the people who I want to see it aren't going to see it if I just go to regular spaces where it's full of all the white nerds. Yep. You know, if I put this out here to, you know, like the uh, one of the one of my friends works with the deaf community by letting him know that, you know, that we would like to be able to have, um, you know, like interpreters. I mean, there's all kinds of things we'd like to have, but it costs money. <laughs> you know, but sometimes just getting that information out there of going out to the different communities and letting them know they're welcome is just already going to change your diversity. Just letting people know that they're welcome and, and they have a voice. Yeah, that that make that can often be a make or break moment for me on deciding to attend a convention. Uh, but, you know, running convention, doing those things is, is not easy. So if there's anyone listening to this episode who has you know, an idea, an inkling, may want to do this themselves. Do you have any advice for someone wanting to start a convention? Gosh, I I get a lot of people that want to talk to me about making conventions. Um, the thing is, a lot of them don't have a goal. They don't have a mission statement. They don't know exactly what they want. And they just go look for people, you know, hey, who wants to help me with this? You need to have people you are close to, people that you can depend on, that you can... Yeah, so my husband's giving feedback in here. People that share your vision of what you want to do, they have to be on board with that. And if you don't have that, because we started with zero money, you know, or, you know, business license or anything like that. So all this was brand new, but you have to put the work in to do it. And if you have an idea for a convention, kind of like what we see in games, lots of people have ideas for games. They're mm-hmm. shit. Um, <laughs> and ideas don't get you anywhere. You know, knowing how to program, knowing how to write, knowing math, knowing, you know, how to hold down a job. Those things are important for making games, not ideas, because most ideas are shit. (laughs) But so the thing thing with conventions, there's a lot of conventions. There's one local that every time I see them post something, I'm just like, bless your heart. They are so way over their head and it's so going to bite them in the ass. And they want me to be involved. I was like, I can't. I can't fix you. I can't fix your con. You know, and then there's another one that's really kind of an older con. And, oh, please come help. We need to be more diverse. I'm like, I can't fix you because you have a board and your convention is full of older white dudes, older straight white dudes who don't want change, who are perfectly happy to have this. I can't change that. So the best thing to do is, first of all, start volunteering at conventions, whether it's PAX as an enforcer, as a minion at Emerald City, whether it's Anglicon. As a matter of fact, Anglicon, which is a British media con here in Seattle, they need volunteers desperately because it's uh, up against Gen Con weekend, (laughs) which is hard and a bunch of other stuff going on. But get involved doing that stuff and, you know, be a general volunteer, get involved in the planning and understanding that it takes lots of money and patience and time and you should start working on it at least two years out Mm -hmm. find somebody who knows how to read contracts because you could get in a pickle because the hotels is always what gets you in a pickle oh i'm sure yeah yeah because if you don't sell enough room nights you owe lots of money oh yeah lots of fees so i don't want to discourage people but there there is a lot of resources out there you just like just go to google and say how do i start a convention and there's lots and lots of great resources out there. Yep. Because that's how I did it. I, I feel like examples are always the best thing. How you did it is probably the thing people need to hear. 
I think the last thing we wanted to ask was uh, what's going on between now and the next OrcaCon. Well, let's see. I'll be at PaizoCon as a guest. I'm doing a panel, and I plan on playing some Pathfinder, uh, which I've never done before. And a friend of mine is actually starting a uh, Pathfinder campaign, so um, this will be super fun. Yeah, I've got Gen Con, and then later I've got uh, Geek Girl Con and Gamer X, and I'll be a guest at Big Bad Con, which I'm super stoked about, because Tanya and I will be there together. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've got on right now, is is everything is uh, OrcaCon, because OrcaCon, for me, never stops. It is a year-round thing that I do. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to put... You can't really put it away at any point. Mm-mm. Nope, I'm always up there doing it. So, yeah, because right now... I mean, even the website, I've got that up, but I still have so much more to do on it. So my OrcaCon Kickstarter is my number one thing right now. Got you. Well, when it is ready, we will definitely uh, help you promote it and get the word out there. Yay! You're always, like, so happy. <laughs> so we actually have a little bit of time before you need to literally head home. And I'm I'm sure you've seen the article about the white male terrorist issue in tabletop. It's 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 been around. It's it's not a secret to anyone. And I I've seen it. I've had some thoughts about it because the ways I've been treated have pushed me out of like in-person tabletop for quite some time. Like I've done online with Roll20.net and with people I know and trust. But it it illustrates a lot of the macro and and very large aggressions women get in in the tabletop realm. And, you know, me being a a black woman, a queer woman, someone who is very visible in talking about diversity, it it really struck a chord because a lot of the things that she described, a lot of the uncomfortable situations, a lot of the assault situations, you know, resonate with many people who read the article. And I was wondering, you know, since tabletop is your primary domain, did you have thoughts about it? Had you, you know, do you have like kind of a not a response, because I don't know if a response is, is the accurate thing here, but when you read that, did that kind of ring any bells, both good or bad for you? Or just what were your thoughts on the article? Oh, I have thoughts. <laughs> well, first, I want to give a content warning. Yes. Um, because this is good. could get uncomfortable for some folks. So mm-hmm. give them time to um, see, you know, um, to be comfortable. But yeah, uh, the article, I believe 100% of it. I know that the title of the article has been hard on a lot of people and I don't care (laughs) because this is something I've grown up with. I'm 51 years old. So this has been my experience since 1982. Just as an aside, I'm new to comics because the same thing that drove me away from comics was the same thing that almost drove me away from games. And it was going to game stores and having, you know, when I was young, it was either, you know, I was dismissed as being stupid or girls don't play, you know, that thing. But worse is that there's a lot of dudes that would want to put their hands on you. And um, so it was really, really hard to try to, it's like, dude, I just want to play games. I've been at where I've tried to play games at a convention or a store. This is when I was younger when, you know, it was harder for me. I didn't know how to handle it. But it, but to be fair, I've grown up in all-guy neighborhoods, so this is actually not new to me. That doesn't have anything to do with games. I'm used to dudes doing this no matter what hobbies I've been in. And so same thing, I'd go into, try to go to a comic store or a bookstore, and it was just, just creepy. There was always these creepy dudes. 
And the people who are, you know, kind of people who do this, they don't do it when other people are around. That's the hard part is, you know, you complain about it or that dude touched me or he won't leave me alone. You know, it's, oh, boys will be boys. You know, all those things that, that society tells us is acceptable behavior. Well, he likes you. Well, then tell me he likes me and then go away when I say no. Um, yeah. But I would be at gaming tables and it was just like, here, here, you get the cleric. And it was all, you know, or the maids. It was always a woman character. You know, here, you get the cleric. Um, because, you know, apparently people don't see clerics as heroic, which at that point I say, kiss my ass because I'm an awesome cleric. I'm a little smitey, not so much healy. <laughs> But I've been at game table where my character's agency was taken out of the game by having the GM run the thing where your character was raped. Yeah. Um, where you know, the, the, you know, nobody's out there. You know, it's why does it always the girl character? You know, or it so it was just kind of you know. Well, this is people say well mature theme games it was like mature doesn't mean this. You know, mature means right. something completely different. But. If it was just like a one person, I would think that was one asshole. But I rarely play tabletop role-playing games with strangers. I never, as a matter of fact, I never do. I stopped I stopped playing games with people that I didn't know probably back in the, somewhere, oh, well over 15 years ago. Yeah, so I've just, I've just had so many, pro- I've been at conventions where I've been in the elevator. I've been that girl where I have, you know, been, uh, you know, where so when you turn somebody down, you know, that like that's the customer of the store or that's at the convention, all of a sudden you're a bitch, you're a whore, you're ugly. Um, when I became older and heavier, then it was all, well, you're just fat, you're a dyke, you're this, you're that. And the abuse that, that women and girls find in stores is terrible. And, you know, nowadays... I'm I'm old and cranky, so I don't I don't get hit on like I did. I don't have people that touch me like they did. But I was at Gen Con two years ago, and somebody was trying to put their hands up my skirt. Um, you know, I was at Gen Con at a, a industry party, and there was a guy that was taking up skirts, and I caught him, and it was all industry people. So think about that a minute. It's people who actually work in industry that will do these things, and. The, as a matter of fact, and it was years later, I was at PAX East in 2010, and I was just getting some food, and the upskirt guy, he's like, he came up to talk to me, and then he did one of those things, so imagine if you're standing against the wall, so he was standing in front of me, and he puts one arm on the wall next to me, and then his friend stood on the other side as he was talking to me, and I had a fucking panic attack right then and there, and luckily, the guy I was with who was in the booth I was in, um, he saw them at, and he saw that I looked terrified, and he came and rescued me because I'm, I'm the first person. If he, if he had just like flat out touched me, I'd have just hit him, right? But all of a sudden, it came back to how he had behaved and how he had creeped and how he had done that and violated all of the women there so many years ago, and now he was trying to do it again to me. So. You know, this behavior happens no matter how old or young you are, no matter if you're ugly or pretty or whatever. It's the, it's a power trip. It's, it's these horrible, horrible dudes. And unfortunately, enough good dudes, because there are so many of them out there, they don't look for it. They don't see it. They don't hear it. So they don't believe it. 
You know, they don't know, yeah. or some of them think they're like, I don't know how to help. Well, this guy luckily saw on my face that I was having a panic attack and was freaking out. But there's been times where I've had panic attacks and it doesn't show that I'm having a panic attack. You know, I've seen girls and women who are walking around conventions and they have that look. If you've been assaulted, you know the look. And so I always pull women over, you know, hey, why don't you come sit down here? Let me show you my game. You can sit right next to me and look them in the eye to let them know I understand. And um, and it's a terrible thing that we're still doing that. That, that. Of course it happens in other hobbies. It happens in sports. It happens everywhere. But we're talking about games. So this is where, you know, most of my experiences is. I mean, I I was working at Six Flags, and I was working in the parking lot, and these guys tried to haul me off in their car when I was 17. You know, so this is a behavior that, that happens all the time. And, you know, I hope nobody does that at my convention. Because, <laughs> oh, Lord, can't whip ass is going to come out. I'll channel my mom at that point. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um. David, did you have any thoughts on this? Because um, it's in the it's, it'll be in the show notes. But there's also an interesting response, and interesting is in a good way, um, with a guy who was basically like, "Hey, can we not be these assholes?" And when you see something happening, say something, which is is good because you know some of the reactions to this piece have not been been particularly enlightened. So I didn't know, David, if you had someone because you you're making games, and you know you're more of a tabletop person as well. That's true. Like I don't I don't. I don't really know what I could really say. It is true that the the sorts of dudes who do this tend to do this when other dudes aren't around. So it makes you really suspicious of every group of dudes if you're ever in a group of dudes and you're a dude, because then you have to realize you don't really know any of these people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. My, my favorite thing is to see uh, dudes, and it is not just dudes, but it's primarily dudes. I love it when I'm somewhere and somebody like makes a, a racist joke and another person just turns them and says, dude, that's not cool. You know, when somebody's like, oh, dude, that hand you played was so gay to have another say, dude say, dude, that's not cool. And I think that for the uh, most part, most part is that, you know, if guys, if they were more aware, they would do that. They would be, they would be, you know, they would happily do it, whether it's people who work in games or not. Yeah, there is, uh, I, I think one way, I guess, to say it, what, what I would say to other white dudes like myself, if you're hanging out with seven other white dudes, it, it would seem that statistically one of you is a creep. Well, yes. And you should just, you know, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, and then when you add in the modifier of being a woman and or a woman of color and or a queer woman of color, imagine how that feels for those of you listening. It is a plus 20 damage modifier that I don't like having to have in interactions. So I know that you are on kind of a tight time clock, but I do want to get into our questions from our longtime listener and friend, Tim. So Tim asks both, do you have any tabletop games that you always want to play or that you like to cycle, or do you like to cycle through a wide variety? And along those lines, are there tabletop publishers slash creators that you are a constant fan of? Um... You know, it really kind of goes. I, I've, I've got some standbys that I love to play anytime it's game day. You can always talk me into playing Ticket to Ride or Splendor. I must always want to play those games. I just love those. And Istanbul is another one that I love. Um, I could be talked into Lords of Waterdeep. 
So there's uh, and Mary Mr. Darcy because I love Pride and Prejudice. So those are games I can be talked into all the time, and I like to keep them on hand um, because I do a lot of my game playing in public with welcoming people to a game day. Like I'm starting up a new one at Sailor Sea Brewing, which is also the people who make the OrcaCon official beer, the Blackfish Stout. And so, so I'll bring those games because they're easy to teach, but the more you know about the game, the more strategy can be involved. So that's kind of a, a roundabout kind of answer to the question. We have hundreds of games, <laughs> so we do tend to cycle some of them out, but we still have our favorites. And favorite publishers? Um, uh, I love to hate Fantasy Flight because they keep putting out a whole bunch of things I just can't afford to buy and that I want to play, and that would be everything Star Wars, of course. Uh, I like Alice. Those are some really, really nice folks. All right, and... Uh... Tim's third question is, uh, do you prefer using minis and set game boards or pure pencil and paper around the table? Oh, gosh. Um, I am a pure, I am pretty much a no miniatures kind of gal um, because all my RP, RP when I was younger, when I first started playing, um, we didn't use miniatures at all. If anything, we would use like dice or pencil or dice or, or um potato chips or whatever to, you know, if we ever had to mark out where something was. Um, but currently in playing 5th edition, we only use miniatures um, when we need to. But otherwise, we pretty much, uh, uh, Barry will just draw out maps and we'll just kind of talk about where we are and what we're doing. Um, unless it comes to like a bigger kind of boss fight where that kind of stuff is really important. But mostly I'm a no minis girl. Although I like tabletop miniatures. Or like miniature war games, like War Machine, which I need to play some more. Is that what you're going to do when you finally get home, is more War Machine? Uh, what, I, once the rules, they're doing a new uh, Mark III is coming out, and so there's going to be lots of rules changes and stuff. So I'm uh, hoping to get into a Journeyman's League. They're releasing the new rules um, June. June. So I'm almost all 100% painted to everything that I want to play. So uh, so I'll be looking to that right now. I'm looking, what I want to get back into is playing more um, X-Wing, X-Wing miniatures. Oh. It's super fun. It's super easy to get into. Um, you can play easy games with just the beginner box. Very cool. What we usually wind up with and, and close out on is what we've been playing. And as you are our lovely and esteemed guest, um, please feel free to go first. Oh, gosh darn. Well, I've been playing a lot of WoW to get ready for the next expansion. My, uh, I actually didn't play for like five years, so I'm kind of getting caught up <laughs> in everything. Uh, Nat Pagel is now my best friend, so that's what I'm really happy about. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Civ Five lately because who can resist? And um, I'm playing, I just started a new playthrough for uh, Inquisition. So um, I am playing that now. And then okay. I've, I've uh, then what is it? Uh, I've got a bunch of little indie games that I uh, haven't played yet that I picked up here and there and some Kickstarter stuff. Cool. So you have to tell me what is your what inquisitor are you playing? Um playing the human um human warrior. Cool. She'll uh sword and board man. Awesome. Yes, I will when you are home we'll have to have Dragon Age feels. Um, so David, what have you been playing? Yesterday, actually, I took some time to, uh, check out the, uh, cause I am, I'm just like, I've, I've just basically enrolled in every beta that Bethesda has with Fallout 4. 
Okay. So I was checking out their in-game mod system, and it's uh, uh, it is better than I expected it to be. Okay. It's the menu is sort of like Netflix. The categories are vertical, and you and everything is lined up uh, horizontally. Uh, but it does it does have a load order manager. Oh, that would be amazing because Skyrim. I was broke Skyrim when I did that when I did mods because something wouldn't be in the right load order. And as for me, I've been kind of boring actually because I was I've been running amok the last three weeks in a row, and the upcoming weekend is not any less filled with muckery. Um, I've been getting in some time with the Overwatch open beta, and I'm enjoying it. I don't know if I will run out and buy it because. A, money, and B, if I don't buy it right when it comes out, I, it'll be like every other shooter I bought, like Division, where everyone bought it, played it for hours and hours and hours, leveled up to 80, and then I'm like, um, guys, I'm kind of back here, level 10, can you help me? So, yeah. And always playing Inquisition, and now that whatever weird issue was going on with the Origin launcher is resolved, because it thought the beta client was a real game, I can play again, so... Later, I'll be streaming from PC and finally getting my Fenris as Inquisitor feels out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) I have many feelings. Sadly, this brings our our brief time to an end, Donna. Um, Aww. I know. I'm I'm a sad muffin. But, you know, let folks know where they can find you, how they can uh, help with OrcaCon, contribute, spread the good word about it. And then uh, we will let you go so you can be on your way and and get home. Excellent. Um, Well, I'm easily found at um, about.me slash Denicia. That's D-A-N-I-C-I-A. You can also follow along at OrcaCon on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, We have a subreddit set up. Um, And if you're interested in volunteering for OrcaCon, you can just email volunteer at orcacon.org. And that's where our website is, is orcacon.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us, especially since you are kind of on the go today. And next, we will speak with Meg Giants, who um, did 80 Days, had some great talks at GDC this year. And after that, I don't remember who we have scheduled. So thank you again, Donna, for spending time with us. And this episode will be out on May 18th, I believe. Yes, May 18th is when this episode will be aired, and y'all will have listened to it. So thanks again, and we will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye.